that. Well, we're going to start a brand new series this morning uh, that I'm calling Dangerous Prayers. And uh, the reason I chose this title is there's actually a couple of different reasons. Uh, First of all, I chose it because I'm convinced that the majority of prayers that most of us as Christians pray are way safer than God would like for us to pray. That, that most of the prayers we choose to pray are way too safe of prayers. You know, prayers like bless me, help me, take care of me, safe, safe little prayers. And, and I'm convinced uh, that, that Jesus would like for us to pray way more dangerous prayers. And so that's one of the reasons why we're calling it this. In fact, in John uh, 10, chapter 10, this is one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. Uh, Jesus says that the reason that he came was not to give us a safe little, you know, boring life. That that's not why he came and lived and died and rose again, so that we could have and live a safe, boring little life. I love, um, how, how many of you have ever seen uh, or, or read the books, The Chronicles of Narnia? Oh, you had me worried there for a second. I thought there was like three, but there were some hands that went slow up there. One of my favorite lines from that movie, that book, is when the children are with Mr. and Mrs. Beaver. You may remember this. And they've been told that Aslan the lion is coming. And the children reply. They say, oh my, is he safe? And the beavers respond, safe? No, heavens no, he's not safe, but he is good. And Jesus is the Lion of Judah. He's described as the Lion of Judah. And so he did not come for us to live safe, boring little lives. And in John 10, chapter 10, he said, the reason that I came is so that you might have life and have it to the full, to the fullest extent. That's the reason why he came, to give us a life that is is meaningful and full of purpose and exciting. And and I believe that the conversations that we have with him ought to reflect the kind of life that we live with him. And so he he didn't come to give us a safe little life, and our prayers should not be safe little prayers either. And we're obviously going to talk a lot more about this over the next several weeks. But, but, But let me just tell you this now. I believe with all of my heart, and I hope you believe this with me, but I believe this with all of my heart, that God is so big, that he is, he is so powerful, and he is just waiting, hoping that we will pray not safe, little, easy prayers, but his desire is for us to pray huge, monster, mountain-shaking, earth-moving kind of prayers. You believe that? Man, man I believe that God, God is just waiting, and he's like, man, I am, I am such a bigger God than what most of your prayers reflect. And so why don't you test me on this? Why don't you try me? Why don't you just see if you can pray anything that is bigger than what I can do? I believe God is waiting for us to test him on that. And so over the next several weeks, all of us are going to be challenged to set aside any of our safe little prayers and pray much bigger pray much more dangerous. And we're going to look at what, what I, I believe are some of the uh, most dangerous prayers from the Bible. And what I hope we really begin un- to understand is that as dangerous as it may be to pray these prayers, there's kind of two sides of the same coin, that on one hand, they may be dangerous prayers to pray, but I believe the flip side of that coin is that as followers of Christ, they are way more dangerous for us not to pray that these are prayers that we really need to pray. There's way too much at stake not to pray prayers like we're going to be talking about over the next several weeks. And uh, again, before we really jump into what I want to talk to you about this morning, I probably ought to just tell you this up front uh, before we really get started, that, that once again, and I've shared this with you before, sometimes when I preach, I have kind of this secret agenda. That, that I don't really tell you about, but it's in the back of my mind, and it's kind of a secret agenda. And, and this is, this is that, that way. This series is going to be that way. I have kind of this secret agenda, and my secret agenda is this, that over the next several weeks, I'm praying, this is my prayer, that individually and collectively, the level of all of our prayer would, would just increase. 
that wherever we are in our journey in prayer, that over the next several weeks, it would increase. And so in order to help us with that, there are some challenges that I'm gonna give along the way. In fact, um, what I'm gonna challenge you first of all is to do this, is, is I wanna challenge you, same challenge I have for myself, is that we not just be hearers of the word, Whatever we hear and receive on Sunday morning, hear and say, oh yeah, amen, that was great, and then that be it. But we actually are doers of the word. And so whatever it is that we hear on Sunday, the challenge is, and I know, I know that a lot of us, we live that way already, but whatever the challenge is that we hear on Sunday, especially as it pertains to these specific prayers that we put into practice Monday through Saturday, that whatever we hear on Sunday, we actually do. And so I'm believing that if we'll do that collectively, this could be incredibly powerful if all of us would commit ourselves, as we're talking about praying dangerous prayers, and we're gonna talk about specific ones, that if we'll commit ourselves to collectively all praying the same prayer during the week. I think this could be very powerful and unifying for us. And so I've been thinking about this a lot, and I've just been thinking about, wouldn't it be great if Connecting Point Church just kind of became known, you know, we could be known for a lot of different things, but what if we became known as, yeah, that, that's the church in Lincoln who they believe and practice the power of prayer. I mean, whenever anybody thinks about us, talks about us, first, I hope that that happens. I hope that, that as a church, our whole existence isn't just about us gathering together here on a Sunday morning, singing a few songs, listening to somebody get up and pontificate for a few hours. I'm not gonna do a few hours, but for a little while. And then that, that be who we are as a church. My prayer is that what happens in here has an impact outside of here. It ought to. And what if, when people thought about Connecting Point Church, they thought, you know what, that is the church in Lincoln that knows how to pray. Wouldn't that be awesome? I don't think there'd be any greater thing that we could be known for. I mean, because there are a lot of things that we could be known for. But when people talk about us, I believe that God desires more than anything else for them to know that Connecting Point is a place full of people who know how to pray. And just so you know, this isn't my idea. In fact, Jesus said in, in, in Matthew chapter 21, he said that if my house is gonna be known for anything, what it ought to be known for is ought to be called a house of prayer. Not a house of preaching, a house of singing, a house of everybody belongs here and everybody's welcome. All of those things are wonderful and we wanna be those things, but what we wanna be more than anything else is who Jesus called us to be and he said, my house should be called a house of prayer. And so as I've thought about that, I, I've been wondering, you know, what would happen if we decided right now collectively that this is what we're gonna be known for? that what we're gonna be known for, if we're gonna be known for anything, is that we're going to be known as a group of people who believe in the power of, and because we believe in the power of it, we practice prayer. I mean, I mean just dream with me for a second. What, what, if, what if? What if it was just kind of the norm that whenever we gathered together in a setting like this, what if even before we did that, what if before we sang our very first worship song, before we, we did our greeting, before we did anything else, what if the front of this place was just packed full of people who were so hungry to encounter God that we couldn't wait till 10 a.m.? that we just had to get on our faces before him and, and pour our hearts out to God, inviting him to take control of whatever was gonna happen over the next hour or so. What if we just did that? What if it were just common, you know? That, that whenever you stepped out into the lobby, before or after the service, and, and, and all, the, all of us were out there gathered around and we're talking with each other, what if it was just normal if in the midst of all that we'd see little circles of people praying over each other? Just out there while we're visiting, as we're having conversations with each other, we're just including Jesus in on the conversations that we're having. What if, what if our normal 
became that whenever we opened up and shared with each other, and, and, and our normal ought to be that we could open up, we trusted each other enough, we loved each other enough to let each other into our lives. What if it were just normal for us as we're going through life and as we opened up with each other, rather than doing the typical, you know what, I'll pray for you, and then maybe doing it later or maybe forgetting, what if we just stopped right then and prayed for each other? What if that was just normal for us? What if we saw that happen all of the time? I wonder what would happen. You see, now, now, now this, this is kind of a crazy one. But, but I'm, if I'm dreaming, I'm going to go ahead and dream big. But, but what if our Wednesday night prayer time, Tom, what if it became so crowded that we could no longer meet in that little classroom that we're meeting in right now? What, what if we, 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 we were so hungry for God and we, we, there were so many of us that were so hungry to see God move in our own lives and in the life of our community. What if Wednesday nights became so crowded that we had to move from there into here? And what if, and again, I'm dreaming crazy, but what if we had more people show up on Wednesday nights for prayer than we had show up on Sunday mornings for our Sunday morning worship? I wonder what would happen. I wonder what would happen if, if prayer became so much a part of the DNA of who we are that every time we gathered together, it was just natural for us to move in and out of times of prayer. I'm wondering what would happen if, if as the people of God, we really made it our priority as we gather together to focus our hearts and our attention and we would pray and not just pray safe little generic prayers, but if we would pray risky, dangerous, earth-shattering, earth-moving kinds of prayers. I don't know what would happen, but can I tell you I'm dying to find out. I just want to find out. And so now you know, this is, my, this is my secret agenda as we move into this series. And this is what I'm personally praying and believing God for is, is I am praying that the Holy Spirit, the anointing of the Holy Spirit would fall on us in a greater measure in regards to this area of prayer. I'm praying that the Holy Spirit would fall upon us and motivate us and enable us and equip us when it comes to prayer because I'm believing with all of my heart that what happens over the next several weeks and months and years at Connecting Point will be directly related to the measure that we pray. And so this is important, important stuff. And so with that in mind, Here's, here's a bigger challenge for us. This, this series is going to run for several weeks. I don't even know right now how long it's going to run. Because as I was looking through this, there are so many great prayers in Scripture. I don't know where to stop and, and where to go. And so we're going to let it go as long as the Holy Spirit leads us to go. But, but over this, these next several weeks, if you happen to miss a week, here is the first challenge. Would you make a commitment right now to either go to our app, go online, go to YouTube, go to Facebook, and would you go back and watch the previous week so that you can get the theme for the week so that you can be praying with us and we can pray collectively, all right? If you'd be willing to make that promise, raise your hand right now. If you're not willing to make it, don't, don't raise your hand. Okay, several of you, good. No, keep them up, keep them up, keep them up, because here's what we're going to do. You've got your hands up, you're making a promise. So repeat this after me, I promise. If I miss a week, I'll send in a thousand dollars. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. I'll go back and find out the theme and pray that theme for the week. All right. So you you, you lifted your hands. You promised. So don't don't lie. We're gonna if if all of us that lifted our hands would do that, man, God could do some powerful powerful things over the next couple of weeks. All right. So that's my intro. Now we're going to jump in to this morning's theme. Um, this morning I want to begin with a very dangerous prayer. In fact, it's probably one of the most dangerous prayers that a person can pray. 
And again, it's even more dangerous as followers of Christ if we don't pray it, but it's found in Luke chapter 22. This is a prayer that Jesus prayed. The entire prayer is only one sentence long. The sermon's gonna be way longer than that. But I wanna focus on the second half of this one sentence prayer that Jesus prays. This, this is so powerful, it didn't even need an entire sentence. But in Luke chapter 22, verse 42, the, end, the last part of verse 42, Jesus prays this prayer. He says, Father, not my will, but your will be done. Father, not my will, but your will be done. And we're, we're going to begin right here. I think it's only fitting that as we begin a, a series on dangerous prayers, we begin with the most dangerous because I can't think of a more dangerous, more scary prayer for a person to pray than this prayer. Not my will, but your will be done. Because this is a prayer that when we pray this honestly from our hearts, this is a prayer of complete surrender. We just sang a song, I surrender all. And this is a prayer of complete surrender. And let's be honest, all of us, the reason this is so scary is because all of us hate to give up control. We all like control. Some people like it way more than others. Don't point at anybody. But control is something that we all want to have. And this is a, this is a prayer of complete surrender. Control And again, as dangerous as this prayer is to pray, it's even more dangerous not to pray because by not praying it, what that means is what we really want is the exact opposite of not my will, your will be done. I mean, think about that. Can, can you imagine actually praying this? You know, if we, if we prayed, hey God, you know, I'm pretty good. And so um, I, I've got some pretty good ideas and I appreciate your input, but not your will but my will be done I mean it'd be kind of crazy to pray that prayer none of us probably would actually do that but the sad reality is that's how many of us actually live our lives we don't say it we just do it we just live that way and I'm here to tell you that that is a very 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 dangerous way to live and, and so I, I want to look at this passage in its entirety, but before we do that, let me just give you a little bit of context. Here Jesus is, he's at the end of his ministry, he's just finished the Passover meal with his disciples, and he's at the base of the Mount of Olives in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, if you ever get a chance to go with us on the Israel trip, we'll take you to the very spot where Jesus went and prayed. Dustalyn's going to be going there here in just a few weeks. But if you ever get a chance to go with us, we'll take you to the spot where Jesus prayed. It's an amazing spot. Bev and Jerry saw it with Laura and I here a few months ago. And, and in this location, in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane, there are still some olive trees that, they, that are over 2,000 years old. And, and so there's these massive, beautiful olive trees that would have been in the garden right near the spot where they believe that Jesus prayed this prayer. And I can't even begin to tell you how cool it is to be there in that exact location where Jesus prayed this prayer. And so here Jesus is. He's praying. He, he knows that he's about to be betrayed. I mean, Jesus is fully human, but he's fully God. And so he knows he's about to be betrayed. In fact, at the meal that he shared with his disciples earlier, he said it was going to happen. And so Jesus knows he's about to be betrayed. He knows he's about to be whipped. He knows he's about to be beaten. He knows what lies ahead. He understands that he's about to have a crown of thorns placed upon his head. He knows that he's about to have his hands and his feet nailed to a cross. And so, as, as horrible as all that is, Jesus knows that, but the worst part of it is that Jesus knows that as part of that process, he is about to have the sins of the entire world placed upon him. Can you imagine what Jesus is feeling in this moment? understand this you know here Jesus is he has never experienced any sin in his life and so when he prays not my will but your will be done it's not the physical pain that he is he is he is afraid of it's not the physical pain that's bothering him although that's very real the, the thing that's really weighing on him is the fact that he knows that it's been the plan from the very beginning for, for all of the sins of the entire world 
Not just the living world then, but from history before and all of history moving forward, the sins of the entire world and the punishment for those sins are going to be placed upon him. And so make no mistake about it. This is what is weighing on Jesus. This is what's crushing him. Here he is again. He has known no sin. Scripture tells us that Jesus never sinned, and yet in a few hours he knows that he is going to bear the sins of the entire world. Think about that. As Jesus looks down through history, he knows that he's about to take on the sins of of Saddam Hussein and Osama bin Laden. He knows that he's going to take on the sins of Hitler and Charles Manson and Jeffrey Dahmer. He knows he's going to take on, he who knew no sin knew he was going to take on those sins and he knew he was going to take on your sins and my sins. The sins of the entire world were placed upon him. And it's in this moment, I believe, that Jesus knew that he would be the fulfillment of a prophecy that the prophet Isaiah had given several hundred years before when the prophet Isaiah said, surely he, looking forward in time and seeing Jesus, surely he took our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace, all of that was upon him. This is the context that I want you to have in mind as we read from Luke chapter 22, and I'm going to begin reading with verse 39. It says that Jesus went out, as usual, to the Mount of Olives, And his disciples followed him. Now I want to pause here for just a moment. Luke tells us that as Jesus goes to the Mount of Olives, to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray, this was a usual thing for him to do. He says he went out as usual to the Mount of Olives. And so it was just usual, it was kind of Jesus' habit to go to the same place at the same time in order to pray. If you were looking for Jesus at this specific time, you would know where to find him and you would know what he was doing. He would be in the garden, he would be praying. And so let me just ask you this. When you think about your own habit of prayer, and all of us have a habit where we, whether we think that we do or not, When you think about your own habit as it pertains to prayer, what is the norm? What is usual for you when it comes to prayer? Is it my habit to, just honestly, my habit is, well, I I really don't pray at all, you know, unless I'm in trouble or unless I need something. Or, Or is your habit, you know, yeah, I pray. I pray before I eat my meals and I say thank you or bless it. And I pray, now I lay me down to sleep, you know, when I go to bed. That's my habit of prayer. Is that what is usual for me? Or, like Jesus, do you have a regular time and a regular place that is usual for you to pray? Just something to think about. Jesus had a regular habit. This is a habit that he had developed that was just natural to him when it came to prayer. Verse 40. It says, on reaching that place, he said to them, to his disciples who were with him, he left them at this place while he's going to go over here and pray. He says, you guys ought to be praying too, and what you ought to pray for is that you don't fall into temptation. Boy, that would be a great prayer to pray. What if every morning when we began our day, a part of our prayer life, what became normal for us as followers of Jesus that we would include in our prayer would be, God, would you help me today that I don't fall into any kind of temptation? Would you guard my heart today? Would you help me to be careful as I have conversations with people? Would you help me to be careful with what I say? That'd be a good prayer for some of us to pray. God, God, would you help me? Would you help me not to fall into temptation? Would you help me to be careful how I spend my time today? Would you help me to be careful what I look at today? Would you help me to be careful with whatever attitude I have whenever somebody cuts me off in traffic or somebody's slow and I think they ought to be faster or somebody does something that that I think they shouldn't do or they do something I don't think they should do? 
Would you help me with my attitude? Would, should we, we should pray that we don't fall into temptation. Verse 41. It says, Jesus withdrew about a stone's throw away beyond them. He knelt down and he prayed. He prayed, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Now again, Jesus is talking not just about his physical suffering on the cross, but even more so, he's thinking about the overwhelming burden of carrying your sin and my sin upon himself. And so he says, if you're willing, would you take this cup? This what I'm going to have to enter into. Would you take this from me? And then he prays the prayer we started with, yet not my will, but your will be done. And then I, I love this, and we're going to talk more about this in just a minute. In verse 43, when Jesus prays his prayer, we're told that an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. Man, that is awesome. An angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him, and then verse 44 says, and being in anguish, he prays even more earnestly. He doesn't quit. He doesn't give up. But he prays even more earnestly to the point where his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. And so here Jesus is. He, he realizes what lies ahead. And so he, he says, God, first of all, if there's any other way, if there's any other option, I mean, I know what's next. I know what's about to happen. And it's, it's, it's ugly. It's not good. It's painful. And it's going to separate me from you for a moment. And so if there's any other plan, I would opt for that. And as Jesus wrestles in prayer, we have to remember that Jesus was not only fully God, but he was fully human. And he was faced with every temptation that we were faced with. And so in his flesh, as he wrestles about, about this, he says, okay, Father, I understand this has been the plan all along. I know that there's never been a plan B. And so as much as my flesh wants to avoid the pain of all this, I am going to make the choice. Scripture says that, that no man taketh my life, I lay it down freely. <laughs> he says I'm going to make the choice to resist the flesh and do what I've always done. I am going to allow you to call the shots. And so not my will, but your will be done. You, you know, when we talk about habits, when it comes to prayer, Luke tells us that not only Jesus had a specific time and place that he would pray, but he also has a, a type of response that was kind of habitual for Jesus when it came to prayer. Jesus had developed this habit, and his habit in prayer was this. He said, I just would listen to the Father, and whatever the Father tells me, then I just do that. It doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what I want to do. It doesn't matter what my flesh calls me to do. I listen to the Father, and what he says, then I do that. In fact, in, in John Chapter 5, Jesus says this. He says, by myself, I can't do anything. He, he says, so, so what I do, because I can't do anything by myself, what I do is I listen only to what the Father says, and then I do whatever he tells me to do. You see, doing the Father's will had become a habit of Jesus' life, and he spent his entire life living this way. In, in John chapter 8, verse 29, Jesus says, I always do what pleases him. He, he said, I always do what pleases the Father. I'm just in the habit of always doing whatever it is that God wants me to do. And so it's not a surprise that in this moment, as Jesus is about to undertake his most important task, he, in, in order to do so, he knows that he's going to have to face the greatest pain of all his life. Jesus says, you know, God, if it's possible to do it any other way, I would opt for that. However, regardless of what I want, what I want more than anything is I want your will to be done in my life, Father. That's a dangerous prayer to pray. And it's even more dangerous not to pray. 
In fact, I, I, I think I'll go this far. I want you to think about this. But I don't believe that you can even call yourself a follower of Jesus without being willing to pray that prayer. I mean, not praying it is the same as praying the opposite. You know, God, I don't want to do your will. And let, let's be honest. How can we call God our God if we don't put him in the position of God and obey him, put his will above our will? How can he be Lord of our life if we actually don't treat him as Lord? And so I'm not sure that we can even call ourselves followers of Jesus unless we're willing to pray this prayer. You, you see, the reality is the moment that we make the decision to give our lives to Jesus Christ, the moment we invite him into our lives to be the forgiver of our sins and the, and the Lord of our lives, what we're really doing is we're saying, you know what, God, my life does not belong to me anymore. It's not about me anymore. It's not about my will anymore. I'm not going to follow my will. Following my will is what got me in trouble in the first place. And so no longer is it my will. I want to live for you. I want your will to take precedence in my life. I understand, God, that because of the sacrifice that you made for me through Jesus Christ, that I have been given a new life where I'm not subject to my own desires anymore. But now I am empowered by the Holy Spirit not to live the way that I want to live, but I'm going to live the way that you want to live. You see, folks, this is what being born again is all about. And if no one has, has, never, has, no one has ever clearly explained that to you, I'm sorry. But if you've received Christ the moment you did so, the very moment that you did so, you were called to live for Christ. You were called to live not for yourself anymore, but you were called to be a follower of Jesus. And by definition, to be a follower of Jesus recognizes I'm no longer in, in charge of my life anymore. I'm following him. I'm not leading, I'm following. So wherever he goes, whatever he says, that's what I'm gonna go. That's where I'm gonna go. That's what I'm gonna do. That is being a follower of Jesus. Why is it then that we resist that? Because we do. Let's just be honest. Why is it that we resist that? I think there are lots of different reasons, but the primary one, I believe, is that way too often we buy in to the enemy's lie that says, if you really give up control, if you really give up control and allow God to call the shots, then God is going to force you to go somewhere to do something, to give up something that is going to make him happy but it's going to make you miserable, right? That's the lie that comes to us. It's going to make him happy, but you're going to be, yeah, you're going to be doing what he wants, but you're going to be miserable in the process. I mean, he's going to, he, you say yes, he is sending you as a missionary to the worst place on this planet, I guarantee you, right? That's the lie that comes. And what a lie it is. I, I've shared this before, but you, you know, uh, many of you know at least, that I entered into pastoral ministry late in life. I've only been pastoring for about 10 years. And the reason why is because for a number of years, I really struggled with this whole my will, your will thing. That was a real hang-up for me. Laura and my parents are here, and they could tell you that by nature, I am very stubborn. It's hard to believe, isn't it? So. I'm glad I didn't get an amen. I may have gotten an amen. I just can't hear. But, uh, but by nature, I am very stubborn. And so this whole idea of me laying down my will, man, that, that was a hard thing for me to do. But, but from the time I was in my late teens, I had this sense that God was calling me to be a pastor. My, my, my father is a pastor. My uh, both my grandfathers were pastors. I had like three uncles who were pastors. I've been working on some genealogy stuff and I'm finding out that this pastor thing went on for a long time. And so everybody just assumed that, you know, I'm gonna go into the family business and be a pastor. And that stubbornness, that my will was like, I'll show you, you know? And so for years, I ran from that. But really the driving force beyond, behind it all 
was that when I was growing up in the church, I had witnessed some pastors who had been severely wounded by people in the church. Can you, can you believe that, I mean, sometimes people in the church hurt each other? And, and I had seen this happen. And for whatever reason, I allowed those experiences to define, even though, even though there were more of, of, of other kinds of experiences where people encouraged each other and prayed for each other and helped each other and lifted each other up, I had allowed the pain that I had witnessed in the church to define what I thought God was going to do to me if I said yes to him. I had bought into the lie that convinced me that surrendering my will meant I was entering into this, this lose-win situation where God won but I lost where he would be happy and I would be miserable. And it took me years to get past that lie. And I'm glad that I did. <laughs> In fact, after, after a decade of pastoring, I've got a little better perspective now, but now as I look back over my life, I can honestly say that while I thought doing my thing would be what brought me happiness, what I discovered was my thing brought me discontentment and misery, and while I thought while doing God thing, God's thing would bring me discontentment and misery, I found out that it's brought me nothing but joy and peace and purpose <laughs> because that's the way that it works. When we rely on our own wisdom that it only brings discontentment and misery into our lives, and when we rely on God's wisdom, when we, we allow him control of our lives, that is where we discover the most peace, the most satisfaction, the most joy. This is what I want you to understand this morning, is that making the decision consciously, on purpose, every day of God, I'm no longer interested in doing life simply based on my will, but I'm committed to allowing your will to be what guides my every decision in life. That is the only thing that is going to bring us true joy. That's the only thing that will bring us true joy. Now, does that mean it's always going to be easy? No, certainly not. But God's promise is that if we live this way and we have Jesus as an example, if we will follow his example, his promise is not that it will always be easy, but he does promise we will be filled with joy. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. He says this. He says, fixing our eyes upon Jesus. We need to look at him as our example. We need to keep our eyes on him because we take our eyes off of him. Remember, we're following him, and if we're not watching where he's going, what he's doing, then we're going to get lost. And so fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, he is blazing the trail. He is the pioneer, and he does it perfectly every time. Listen to what it says. For the joy set before him, this is the example he set. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. I love that. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Now watch this. I want you to watch this. When Jesus is praying in the garden, remember, we're told that an angel came and ministered to him. Now, in the Bible, anytime an angel shows up, angels come to bring messages, right? Angels are messengers. And so we're not told specifically the message that this angel comes and brings to Jesus. But I can't help in my mind that whatever that message was, it had to be consistent with Hebrews chapter 12. Jesus, for the joy set before you. I know you're getting ready to go through some tough stuff here, but remember, on the other side, there's joy. Jesus, I can't, I can't help but think in my mind that when this angel showed up and he came to strengthen Jesus, his message had to be something like, Jesus, listen, the Father wants you to know he's heard you when you've been praying. Jesus, listen, the Father wants you to know he sent me to tell you he knows your heart. And the reason he knows your heart is because you have his You've been listening to him. You're connected to him. And he wants you to know the Father knows your heart. And he knows exactly how you feel about what you're getting ready to do. He knows how you feel about sin. 
He, he knows how, how it's crushing you to think about the sin of humanity being placed upon you and you having to bear all of that. I believe the angel said, but listen, Jesus, the Father wanted me to remind you about how much joy you're bringing to him. Jesus, the Father, wanted me to remind you not just about the joy you're bringing to him, but also about the peace that you're going to bring to all of mankind because of your sacrifice. Jesus, Jesus, the Father, wanted me to remind you that because of the sacrifice that you're about to make, you're going to break down that wall that has separated all of humanity from God. Jesus, he wanted me to remind you because of what you're about to do, this issue of sin, that you just hate it, that you're having to bear that upon yourself, but this issue of sin, it is going to be dealt with once and forever. It's finally going to be taken care of. And because of this sacrifice that you're about to make, people down through the ages are going to come to faith. And, and, and this, again, this is in my mind, but in my mind, I just wonder, maybe the angel even began to list names. And maybe in the process, he said mine. Maybe in the process, he said yours. Think about that. Jesus, what you're about to do. And I believe that it was that joy that was set before him that allowed him to set his flesh aside and say, Father, not my will but your will be done. You see, whenever we obey God, we need to understand it is always a win-win situation. Whenever we, we obey, obey God, it's never a win-lose. And, and it's that joy that was set before Jesus that is set before us as well. It was that joy that I believe fed Jesus that will feed us. And because of, because of that joy, because of that message, because of that encouragement, in verse 44 it says that after the angel left, Jesus began to pray even more earnestly. Encouraged by the angel, he prays harder. And, and I believe this. I believe that Jesus' prayer, his praying harder was not, okay, God, I asked once, but now please, 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 please can this cup pass from me. I'm praying harder, please. No. I believe that Jesus' prayer, once the angel ministered to him and he realized the joy that was set before him, I believe his prayer shifted from this place of please let this cup pass to instead, Father, please don't let my flesh fail. Father, please, when they whip me, give me the strength to hold on. Father, please, when they beat me, don't let me collapse. Help my, help my flesh to hold on. Father, when they put that heavy cross on me and I have to carry it up the hill, Father, please, give me the strength. Help me to make it all the way. And Father, when I get to that cross, help me to set my flesh aside and to lay down willingly and to stretch my arms out and cross my feet and allow them to put those nails in there because I know in that moment that all of history will be changed forever. Father, please, 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 don't let my flesh fail. See the difference? He prayed earnestly. And folks, what I want you to know this morning, that that resolve that Jesus had should be our resolve as well. And the resolve that Jesus had, he was empowered by the Spirit of God to have it. And that same Spirit lives in us. We can have that same resolve. Not my will, but your will. We really can live this way. Not my will, but your will. And we can pray, Father, if it's your plan, if this is your plan today, would you give me the strength, would you give me the courage to go out and be your representative in the world that I live in? God, I can't do it on my own, and I'm kind of scared because I'm scared of what people might think of me. But God, God if, if it's your plan, would you give me the resolve, would you give me the strength to share your love with my neighbor? God, if it's your plan, if it's your will, my will is, I don't want to be embarrassed. 
My, my will is I'd just rather stay in my comfortable place. If it's your will for me to lay hands on somebody that's sick and ask you to heal them, I'm afraid what'll happen. I'm afraid if nothing happens. God, if it's your will, would you give me the resolve to do it? God, if it's your will, would you give me the resolve to take you wherever I go? Would you help me? God, God, would you help me to serve wherever you want me to serve? God, would you help me to get to the spot you want me to get to? God, will you help me to do whatever, whether it's mentor somebody, disciple somebody, pray with somebody, love somebody, lay my flesh down. Not my will, but your will be done. This is what Jesus prayed. This is what we can pray. You see, folks, God's plan, God's will is always the best. And don't you ever buy into that lie that says, you know what, it's way too dangerous to pray a prayer like that. Not, not my will, but your will be done because if you pray it, God is gonna make you miserable. Don't buy into that lie. There is more joy, there is more peace, there is more purpose. And if we really are going to say that we love Jesus, how can we do that and not pray that prayer? If, if we really are going to say, Jesus, you're my Lord, how can we say that? You know, scripture, there's a scripture that talks about honoring him with our lips, and then we don't want to do that. We want to live this out. And so here's the challenge. I'm going to invite the band to come. Here's the challenge. Would you join me? And every day this next week, praying this prayer, beginning your prayer, beginning your day with this prayer. Today, Father, not my will, but your will be done. Will you do that? For every decision that I make, God, in this decision, I know what I think is best, but I'm going to try and be like Jesus and just listen to your voice, not my will, but your will be done. Whatever, whatever you tell me to do, God, my answer is going to be yes. Wherever you want to send me, my answer is yes. Whatever you want me to do, my answer is yes. Wherever you want me to serve, my answer is yes. Whatever you want, my answer is yes, yes, yes. Not my will, but your will. I'm here, and if you want me there, yes. Let's all make that our prayer this week. Not my will, but your will be done. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, you may be here this morning. And you've never invited Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of your life. You've never asked him to take the sin that you've committed, the disobedience, the wrong, to take it and include it with the sins that he has already nailed to the cross. I mean, he's already done it but you've never really accepted his free gift of forgiveness. This morning, I'm not gonna close without giving you an opportunity to do that. And so if you'd like to just say, Jesus, would you forgive me of my sins? I wanna enter into this life where I don't have to rely on my own wisdom, my own strength, but I can trust in you, and I can believe that you're gonna do far more for me than I could do for myself, that you've got a better plan than my plan, and so I don't know what it is, but I wanna follow you. If you're here this morning, I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me. We did this a couple weeks ago. I want to do it again. I think one of the benefits of being in a place of God with people of God is that we should never have to play, pray by ourselves. And so would everyone just, just pray this prayer with me? Would you repeat after me? And if you, want to, you just want to make this the prayer of your heart for the first time, I just ask you to just do that. Pray this prayer. Repeat after me. Father, this morning I recognize I'm a sinner. I've chosen my own path. I've done my own thing. And I really haven't paid attention for your will for my life. But this morning I surrender to you. Would you forgive me of my sin? Would you help me to follow you? Would you fill me with your spirit? Would you help me to hear your voice? And give, the strength, give me the strength to obey. In Jesus' name, amen. And Father, this morning, 
I now pray for all of us here this morning, and I come against that spirit of fear. I come against the lies of the enemy that try to keep all of us from honestly, wholeheartedly living a life of complete surrender and constantly praying, not my will, but your will be done. This morning, Father, I take authority over any lying spirit that tries to convince us that if we really did that, then you would make us miserable, that we're not going to be happy, that if we give you control, your attentions may not be good for us. Dad, this morning, I confess that you are good. You are a good father. You can't help but be anything else. And and this morning, we recognize that if you call us to anything, if you call us to anything, even the things that may bring any amount of pain or suffering into our lives, I pray that we would allow that to bring glory to your name. I pray that we would enter into it gladly for your honor. I pray that we would always be willing to say yes to you. I pray that we would understand that when we give up everything for your glory and honor, when we say yes to you, the joy that is is in your heart is set before us, and we we get to participate in the joy that you have for us. And so whatever it is, even this week, for all of us as we leave this place, whatever it is, may we say yes to you. May we say not my will, but your will be done. May that be the kind of prayers that we pray all throughout the week. And in Jesus' name, we pray all this. Amen and amen. Hey, the band's going to close us out here in just a second. I want to invite you to pull out these little connect cards that hopefully you filled out a little while ago. And if, if this morning, if you prayed that prayer, if you said, hey, you know what, today I really did it. I invited Jesus to be the Lord of my life, the forgiver of my sins. Would you just mark that box on there? We would love to just support you in prayer, just support you any way that we can. We won't, we won't bother you. We'll send you a little note in the mail just, just saying, hey, we love you. We're, we're here for you, and we want to pray for you. If you don't have a Bible, back on the back table back there, there are some Bibles. We want you to just take one as our gift. There are also some devotionals back there that say my first 30 days, and that'll kind of help you begin this relationship with Jesus that you started. And so please do that. Um, if you're interested in any of the other things that are on there, you can mark those as well and then put those in the offering plate. But Dustin, would you help us as we wrap things up this morning?